Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I've titled my message, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The title of my message is, very simply, Shake It Off. Turn to the person to your left and say, shake it off. Turn to the other person. Some of y'all aren't turning. You're not saying, I'm not turning to anybody. But for those of you who are say, you too. So the title is Shake It Off. And I got this title from St. Luke and from Taylor Swift. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Everybody say it with me. Shake it off. You say, where do you get that title? Well, honestly, I get it from the text. And you'll understand what, what this means here in just a little bit. But I'm fired up, as mentioned, because we started this journey over a year ago. And here we are near the very end of the book. But if you remember going back to the beginning of this study... Uh, I pointed out, really highlighted this truth from Acts 1-8, where Jesus says that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, ultimately to the end of the, to the, end of the earth. Yeah, And that's what we see through the book of Acts, is the Holy Spirit comes upon believers, the Holy Spirit, He empowers believers, and they go forth into their worlds, preaching the gospel, bearing witness to Jesus, telling the world about Jesus. And of course, that's what we've seen week after week in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit came upon him. God set him apart as an apostle, as an envoy, as a messenger. And Paul went into the world, stood before governors and others, and he bore witness to Jesus. And so we've seen this, once again, week in, week out, over the course of many, many weeks. We've seen Paul doing that very thing, boldly declaring Jesus. But we saw several weeks ago that Paul appealed to go stand before Caesar in Rome. And I won't re-preach that. You can go back and listen to that message from several, several weeks ago. But the aim was for Paul to go stand before Nero and to plead his case there in Rome. And so what we're going to see today is, well, Paul finally reaching his destination in Rome. But as you heard from last Sunday, along the way, well, there were some storms that came against Paul. There was some danger. There was some trouble that Paul experienced in his journey from Caesarea to Rome. If you read the story, I mean, it was a treacherous voyage. It was extremely dangerous. But what we saw last Sunday is that through it all, God preserved Paul's life. And hey, let me, let me help you all with something. If you're here today, God has preserved your life. How many of y'all can think about times in your life, like in retrospect, you look back and you're like, that should have been it. Like, I, I can think about times in my past, in my testimony, in my life, when I'm like, okay, I should have died, but, but God's hand was on my life. And let me help you all. God's hand is on your life. And if you're here today, if you've got breath in your lungs... That means that God's purpose for you is not fulfilled just yet. He has got a plan for you right now. He's going to keep you alive until you reach your destination, whatever that destination is. How many of y'all know that's good news? God sovereignly 
holds us in the palm of his hand, in the grip of his grace, and you will make it to that place that God has appointed for you. That's really, really good news. And so we see this in the life of Paul, that Paul made it through the storm. He, he survived the shipwreck. And not only Paul, but the 275 others, they made it. They made it, well, at least at this point, to this island called Malta. And that's where we're going to pick it up today in Acts 28, verse uh, we'll start with verse 1, and we're going to work through verse 6 and see what the Lord has to say to us. So here, here's, what, here's what Luke reports. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island, the island they're shipwrecked on, was called, everybody say it with me, Malta. Malta. The native people, we were told, showed, showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, keywords here, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his what? On his hand. Picture this in your mind. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt, we know this man is a what? He's a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to what? To live. He, that is Paul, he, however, what did he do? He shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. How many of y'all know people are fickle? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, help us today as we read and study this text. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. We open our hearts. We receive what you have to say. Come on, can we just lift our hands right now? Let's lift our hands. Lord, we receive. We're lifting our hands is a sign of surrender and is a sign of reception. We, we receive what you have to say to us today. And Lord, I pray that you would use uh, the short time, really, that we have together to make a huge impact, a long-term impact in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' awesome name. Everyone said, amen. amen. All right, well, to give you just a little bit of background information, the island of Malta was about 60 miles south of Sicily. This island was about 17 miles long and about 9 miles wide, so relatively small. Now, you can visit this island today, and you can actually visit the place called St. Paul's Bay, which, of course, is named after St. Yes, y'all are very smart, from St. Paul, and the events that happened there almost 2,000 years ago. So this is a relatively small island that they landed on, they were shipwrecked on, and we're told here by Luke that, well, there were natives on the island. But the word here is really, depending upon your translation, it's barbarians. Now, when you hear that word barbarian, if you're anything like me, uh, the word that comes to mind is, well, savages. Like when you think barbarians, normally we don't think uh, in positive terms, do we? We don't think about friendly people, do we? Typically not, okay? But, but Luke is not highlighting these people as being savages. A barbarian for Luke was simply someone who did not speak the sophisticated Greek language of the day. 
And so here we are with Paul as we're on this journey with him. I want you to picture this. 276 total people are wet, they're cold, I'm sure they're hungry, and just tired of it all. I mean, they've been out to sea for a while, and I'm sure that they were just fired up about standing on dry ground. And we can't blame them, huh? I mean, I'm sitting on the airplane with my wife last night, and the Lord reminded me of just how impatient I still am. Uh, I'm in this, this stinky airplane. The air wasn't circulating. And we were delayed like, what, 30 minutes? And I'm like, okay, Lord, work in me, both the will and the work. I'm thinking, okay, your name is Scott. You're a pastor. Be a pastor. Be a man of God. This isn't that bad. I had to remind myself as I'm on the plane. How many of y'all have ever asked for patience? Yes, Lord, for patience? And like nothing happened? How many of y'all know that's the Lord teaching you patience? Like you have to wait on him to you understand. But, but patience is not just something we learn. Patience is actually a fruit of the Spirit. So it's not go get more patience. It's be filled with the Spirit, be full of God. And a fruit of the presence of God in your life is patience. Are y'all tracking? It's a cool thing. So get more of God and you'll get more of his characteristics and attributes in your life. And so I'm praying, I'm thinking about that last night. I'm like, I, I need Holy Spirit, help me. But these individuals, think about it, they've been out to sea They've been through hell. They've been going through hard circumstances, almost died. Here they come up on the shore, 276 total, and they're greeted by who? Starts with a B? Barbarians. Now, this could go a couple different ways. There's some barbarians. There are some who would be hostile to Paul and the gang and would have not, not been nice to them. Okay? But these natives, they're called natives in this translation, these natives were told by Luke... This is incredible. Showed unusual kindness to Paul and the gang. And they did so. They showed this by starting a fire. They lit a fire, which, I mean, you're talking about 276 people. How many of y'all know that was a big fire? That took some work to get this fire going. The natives started a fire for these cold passengers and crew members and for Paul so that they could be warm. Now, what an awesome picture of the providence of the hand of God using barbarians, using non-Greek-speaking people to take care of the Apostle Paul. Hey, when a man's ways please the Lord, Proverbs says, the Lord makes even his enemies at peace with him. Isn't that awesome? How God will use foreign people who don't speak your language to take care of you. God's means, his instrument to take care of us. There have been some people over the years who weren't Christians that God used in my life to take care of me. And I'm not going to say, well, no, they're not Christians. I'm going to say, Lord, however you want to take care of me, I'm good with that. As long as you take care of me. Are y'all tracking? And so these, these natives, <laughs> these natives show unusual kindness by starting this fire, I'm sure, feeding them, taking care of the crew, the passengers, of course, uh, in that is the Apostle Paul, right in the middle of it as this great leader being taken care of by these barbarians. And there's a lesson for us. This isn't my main point, but this is one point. There is a lesson here for Christians. Listen, we don't have to agree with someone in order to show kindness to someone. How many of y'all know that, listen, love and compassion, those are the universal love languages, and we in the church should be speaking them the loudest. How many of y'all know we shouldn't wait for people to get on our page theologically before we show love to them? How many of y'all know our, our theology is fleshed out in our love for all people, even the people who don't agree with us? Listen today, y'all. The superpower of the day by the Holy Spirit 
The superpower is compassion. Show compassion. Show kindness. Let's say it this way. Show love even to those who you feel don't deserve it. And watch God move in the midst of your kindness. In other words, don't repay insult for insult, strike for strike. But look to show kindness every chance that you can. And in doing so, you are demonstrating the love and the characteristics and the attributes of God. Because isn't that what Jesus did for us? He showed us kindness. He treated us like friends when we were his enemy. Jesus came, reconciled us to himself. So we're one with the Father. We're now friends of God because of Jesus laying down his life serving us boy that's good that is incredible the best news you'll ever hear that God left heaven to come to this earth to become man to serve us to show kindness to us and Romans says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance how many of y'all know we should serve God because he's worthy but it's very motivating to hear that God is eternally for me that God is working in me and in you that God is not mad at us as we're living upright before him in Jesus come on you'll You are the friend of God. We have been shown hospitality through Jesus. And so the the great irony here is that initially it wasn't the Christians showing hospitality. It was the unbelievers, the barbarians showing hospitality to Paul and the gang. What an incredible picture. And how many of y'all know sometimes God will rebuke the church by using uh, the world, the world sometimes being a a rebuke. Sometimes people in the world are are more hospitable and are more kind. Sometimes in people in the church, sometimes the church can be nasty. Sometimes people in the church can be super righteous and super religious. And we got to remember that God has called us to be super kind and super loving and super compassionate. And that doesn't mean that we lay down our convictions. It means that we stand in our convictions and we love the world Jesus died for. Can I get an amen? That is our theology in action. Now, here's what I want you to see. While the 275 were sitting by the fire warming themselves, get this. Paul was busy gathering more sticks to keep the fire going. Which means this. Everywhere Paul went, every place he visited, he was a servant of God. He served God by serving people. Now think about this for a second. Let me step on some toes. Paul did not have what I call the man of God syndrome. Now, some of you know where I'm going with this. Let let me explain for the rest. Here at Midtown, at OSC, uh, men text other men. We talk to other men. We we use this form of address. Hey, man of... Emoji, hey, man of God. We use that. And sometimes people aren't acting like... Well, sometimes men aren't acting like men of God. We call them that anyway to remind them of what God's called them to so that they will be what God's called them to be and actually be men of God. So sometimes it's like a faith statement. (laughs) A guy's not necessarily acting like a man of God, but we do it anyway. We say, man of God. And that's all for encouragement. That's all for encouragement. But there's what's called the man of God syndrome, which some pastors have it. And some Christians have it, and it operates like this. It operates in this sense of entitlement. So I'm not going to mention any names, but sometimes pastors can be 
well, guilty of assuming that they are, the, these pastors, the men of God, and that it's their world and their congregations just living in it. And that everybody there is, is in the congregation to serve the pastor and to make the pastor great. A lot of pastors, I hate to say this, I, I'm not naming any names, have the tendency to want to be served instead of being like Jesus and serving the flock that Jesus died for. How many of y'all know we all have to be careful with that, not just pastors? Paul was a phenomenal example of a true man of God who did not wait around to be served. Paul got up off his rear end, and while the 275 were warming themselves, Paul went into the woods, and he gathered sticks to keep that fire going for the others. And isn't that a great picture of servanthood? Keeping the fire going, gathering sticks, making sure that other people are taken care of. It's Jesus and Paul 101. Not looking to your own interests only, but also to the interests of... Come on, how many of y'all know Jesus said that the world will know that we're his disciples by our what? Our love for one another. By the fact that we gather sticks for one another. By the fact that we keep the fire going for one another. That we're not just looking to our own interests, but we're looking to the interests of... Come on, y'all. Others. That is a sign and a wonder to the world. So when we act like that, when we gather sticks for one another, when we keep the fire going for one another, we don't need a billboard on the street. We don't need a sign on the street. You are the sign. You are the wonder. The community hears and they see that we love one another. And they're like, oh, those are Jesus' disciples. Are y'all tracking? Those are Jesus' disciples. That's who he's called us to be. But Paul's gathering sticks, working Keeping that fire going. And check this out. I'm sure, I'm positive, though the text doesn't explicitly say it, I'm sure this is the case, that the islanders thought that Paul was a great servant because of the way that he led and served. But the natives were about to form a different opinion about who Paul was. Look at verse 3 once again. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, are y'all getting the picture here? Paul serving, adding sticks to the fire to take care of the 275. In doing so, what happened? Well, a viper was in the wood, was in the, in the sticks. And this viper had grown lethargic because of the time of year. It was cold. But when Paul put sticks to the fire and the fire got bigger and stronger, the heat from the fire warmed up the viper. That viper came awake, so to speak, and and struck the apostle Paul on the hand while he was serving. Look at verse 4 one more time. When the people saw that Paul had gotten struck, they said this, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, look in your Bible, look on the screen, justice, you can't see it in this because it's all caps, but in in my translation that I use, the ESV, justice is, it's capitalized, capital justice, justice has not allowed him to live. In other words, the islanders would say something like this. 
Initially, we saw Paul serving. We saw him gathering sticks. We saw him come up from the water. He's a true servant. He's a true leader. Ah, but we see now the goddess justice has revealed who Paul really is because justice, the goddess justice, has used a viper to bring justice against Paul. We see the fact he's been bitten shows that Paul is a murderer. Paul is guilty. How many of y'all know people are fickle? One minute people see us one way. Another moment people see us a different way based on sometimes our circumstances. But let me say this one more time. Capital J, Justice, was the, represented the Greek goddess, Lady Justice. who, In other words, Paul, Paul evaded her at sea. He lived at sea. He survived the shipwreck. Ah, oh, but Lady Justice, through this viper, was going to make sure that Paul received, lowercase, justice by this bite. Does that make sense? So that's what's going on here in this passage. So watch this. The idea was that Paul must be guilty of murder because he was bitten by this viper. This was, in the natives' minds, this was payback. Paul, you are getting what you deserve. But as a side note, let me say this. We cannot always determine who is guilty and who is innocent by by what they are stricken with in this life. Let me say that one more time. We can't always determine who is guilty and who is innocent by what they are stricken with in this life. Yes, our choices have real consequences. If we sin, we continue in sin, there will be real consequences, devastating consequences. For the man that cheats on his wife, there are devastating consequences. But listen to me carefully. Yes, our choices have consequences. We reap what we But how many of y'all know, hard times strike the righteous and the unrighteous. How many of y'all know, cancer strikes the righteous and the unrighteous. Cancer, calamity, hard times strike really good God-fearing people. And so let me say it again. We can't always determine who is guilty and who is innocent by what they are stricken with in this life. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not. The islanders form this opinion that Paul was guilty because of his circumstances, because of this viper that bit him, which was totally false. Because Paul lives, he shakes off the serpent, goes about his business, as we're going to see in a minute, then they change their minds again. Listen, some of y'all have gone through hell. You've been stricken by different things in life. Depression strikes the righteous and the hard times strike us all in varying degrees. But here's what I want you to see. The difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is not determined by what strikes us. It's determined and seen in how we respond to it. How many of y'all know the unrighteous respond one way? Unbelievers respond one way, but believers, we are different because when cancer strikes us, when calamity comes upon us, we can say, it didn't happen to me, it happened for me. And God is working in this circumstance somehow, some way for my everlasting good. Unbelievers can't say that. The unrighteous can't say that. But we know that in all things, God works what? He's at work for the what? 
the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purposes. Unbelievers can't say that. Those who hate God can't say that. But you can say that in your trial, in your pain, in your misery, in your depression, from the strikes of life, whatever they are, wherever they come from, you can say the devil meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God's using this in my life somehow, some way to conform me to the image of Jesus. So when I get to heaven, I look a lot more like him when I get there. Are y'all tracking? Things are going to strike you. Things are going to come against you out of the fire. Even when you're serving in church, Paul was serving. He was serving, adding fire, adding wood to the fire, causing that fire to grow in serving the Lord and people. He was bitten. He was struck, but that didn't stop him. He kept on serving like you just can't stop this man how many of y'all know if God had called him to go to Rome no shipwreck was going to stop him no storm at sea no viper from the fire was going to stop the apostle Paul because God had a place for him that he appointed him to go and no devil no demon from hell would keep him from that place and let me tell you the same is true for you today You're going to be storm-tossed. You're going to be snake-bitten. There are going to be things that come against you in this life. But listen, greater is He in you. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in this world. Do y'all believe that? That's not just religious talk. That's the Word of God in our lives. But we have to make the choice when we are stricken to, come on, say it with me, shake it, shake it off. Taylor Swift was onto something. She needed a little Paul, a little Luke to help her get it all right. But how many of y'all know we got to shake it off? You got to shake it off. We're told here that Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no harm. What a powerful story. And we're told in verse 6, they were waiting for him. Uh, This is nuts. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. I mean, that's jacked up, isn't it? On one hand, you know, they're, they're, they're building a fire for, for, for the team. And they're showing hospitality. But then Paul gets struck. He got bit by this viper. And now they're like sitting back watching, you know. He's going to be dead any minute. Watch this. I mean, what kind of hospitality is that? But they were waiting for him to swell up. I mean, like they're watching his arm. Watching him. Waiting for him to get slain. Not by the spirit, but by the snake. And when they had waited a long time, I mean, you'd think these islanders, they would have come and bandaged him up and taken care of him. But they're like, "Uh uh-uh, this dude's a murderer. We're not getting near this guy. When they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So did y'all see what's going on here? Priceless. He's a murderer. Look, look at what happened to him. His circumstances prove that. Nope. Okay, he didn't die. He's not a murderer. He's a god. How many of y'all know people's opinions about us, they can change day to day. One minute, you're awesome. The next minute, you're an idiot, according to some people's minds and their perspective. One minute, people love us. The next moment, they can't stand. That's the way of the world, and sometimes that's the way of the church, that we are fickle in our opinions about people. They, they thought he was a murderer, but then circumstantially they saw he didn't die. No, he's a God. How many of y'all know? Paul was neither a murderer nor a God. He was a man of God on a mission from God, and nothing from the fire was going to keep him from accomplishing that mission. Are y'all with me? I want y'all to see this is powerful stuff. Watch. 
the natives misjudged Paul. They couldn't figure out who he was. Is this guy a murderer? No, no, no. Is he? Oh, he's a god. No, no, no. Okay. They couldn't figure out who he was. But Paul certainly knew who he was and where he was going. So Paul shook it off. Their opinions don't really matter. I mean, really, Paul. I mean, you're going to let some barbarians label you and dictate who you are and what you do? It is so important, people of God, for us to understand who we are and whose we are. Because when you're anchored in the Word of God, when you're standing on the foundation of the Word of God, and God tells you who you are, when He defines you, then you aren't aren't blown back and forth by the opinions of people. You're not blown here and there. No, you stand firm on the word of God and say, no, God says, Father says, His Son says, that I'm a blood-bought child of the living God. Maybe you once were a murderer. Maybe at one time you thought you were God, but you realized that you're neither. You came to realize that there's one God in heaven. Jesus is his son. And the reason that you have a relationship with the Father is because Jesus showed hospitality to you while you were still a sinner. Come on, y'all. That's good preaching right there. While you were away from God, He sought you, and Jesus bought you and brought you close. And now you can walk with your chin up, living righteous before God, knowing exactly who you are and whose you are, not led by opinions, not led by who says what. God has already spoken. You live on that word. You bank on that word. You stand on that word, and nothing in this world will move you. Listen. Don't get upset when people mislabel you or prejudge you or just misunderstand you. It's going to happen. Oh, I've been prejudged, misjudged, misunderstood. And what's the tendency for us in the flesh? If someone strikes you, what do you want to do? You want to what? Strike back. In the flesh, of course. That's what the flesh wants to do. We trade insult. For insult, oftentimes. But here's what I want you to see. Paul was gathering sticks to keep the fire burning, to take care of the crew and the passengers. And while he was serving the Lord, so to speak, from the fire came a viper and bit him. That's a picture of some people in the church. Maybe, maybe you. You were serving the Lord. You are gathering sticks, doing God's will as far as you can understand it in your life. And out from the place of comfort, maybe from the the church, from the fire, where the fire should be hot, warm, love for God, someone struck you. Someone said something nasty about you. And now because they said that, you have the poison that's in them running through your veins. And how many of y'all know it's one thing to get bitten. It's another thing to be bitter. All of us are going to get bitten by the circumstances of life, but we have a choice. God, I will not let this person and his words make me bitter. 
I'm going to say, God, help me no matter what happens to me. Lord, I want this to make me better. I want this to make me a stronger Christian. Because remember, we're not victims. We're not ultimately victims. Yes, people do things to us, but listen, it didn't happen to you. That happened for you. And that's a moment for you to grow and say, I'm not going to let a viper from the fire, an offense from the church. I'm not going to let any people keep me from that fire, from the comfort, from the place of God. I'm going to stand up, hold my head up and declare I am a child of God. I will not be moved. And listen, strikes, words, they hurt. It's one thing to be affected by a bite from an offensive word. It's one thing to be affected. It's another thing to be infected. And you get to choose. And when that word comes, when that offense comes, when somebody does you wrong, you take that that viper, you pull it off, you throw it to the ground, you stomp it, and you say, I'm not going to let this serpent stop me from what God has for me. I'm not going to let some word spoken against me keep me out of the church. Because I can just see and hear the devil standing there saying, To that offended person. See, you can't trust them. You can't trust the church. See, you're in there serving the church. You're serving the Lord. And look at what happened in doing. So I can just hear and see the devil. And there are people today who are not in church because they got struck, not physically, but with some offensive word. How many of y'all been offended before? Some of you all don't have your hands up. I've offended myself. I preached before and I went back and listened to it. I'm like, dear heavens. Like, I survived that barely. Raise your hand if you've been offended. Raise your hand if I've offended you. Don't, don't, don't do that. Save it for later. I, I might at some point. People in your small group, your discipleship group, they shouldn't be intentional about that. That'd be jacked up. But we all say dumb things, don't we? Things we don't really think. Think about Sometimes we do, and it's intentional. That's awful. We're all going to be bitten at some point. It's one thing to be bitten. It's another thing altogether to be bitter, to let the venom of that offense into our system. And there are people today who do not come to church because of one thing that they heard, one thing that was said. They're away from the fire. They're away from the place of comfort. And they're out on their own. And how many of y'all know that's exactly where the devil wants you? All alone. Hurt, wounded, and bitter. And make no mistake, the person that hurt that individual should repent Throw themselves on the mercy of God, repent and say, I am so sorry, and do everything in their power to make it right. I'm not glossing over that. That's important. But Proverbs says that it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. To say, you know what? I could let that hurt me, but I'm going to shake it off, and I'm not going to let that bite, I'm not going to let that serpent, I'm not going to let that snake. I mean, y'all know there's some snakes up in the church. Don't point to anybody. (laughs) I'm not going to let that serpent stop me and keep me from what God has for me. Do you see how the devil works? He works in offense to keep people from the fire, from the church, from the warmth of relationships, from the power of the Holy Spirit manifest when we gather here and through the week in discipleship groups. He's at work. How many of y'all know there is a serpent on the loose. But we've got to shake it off. 
Let me ask you a question. What has fastened itself to you? What has struck you that you're still holding on to today? What struck you? Is there anything you just today you just need to shake off? I see people in the spirit, Christians, walking around with hands and arms full of serpents. And how many of y'all know you can't really lift those hands and praise the Lord when you have serpents hanging from those hands, bitter, upset, mad. Come on, y'all. We got to shake some stuff off. Over the years, I've had to shake some serpents off. Some leaders have offended me. Some pastors have offended me. Other people outside the church have offended me. And you understand, if I sat there long enough and let that venom get in me, it's crazy how the devil can take what's in them to get in us. They're bitter. They're mad. And it's transferred to us. And then we are out of the will of God, out of the church of God, exactly where the devil wants us. But Paul says we're not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware. We are what? We are aware. We should be aware. Devil, I know exactly what you are doing, and I'm not going to let you, in the form of anything, keep me from what God has for me. It's one thing to be affected, affected by an offense. It's another thing to be infected with the poison of that offense. But Paul knew that he was going to Rome. And no storm at sea, no serpent from the fire would stop him from doing God's will. But watch this. I'm getting ready to get ready to get ready to close. (laughs) Watch, Watch how this works. Paul shook it off. He shook them off. He didn't write them off. He shook it off. And what we see here is that Paul went back to serving. What an incredible dude. I mean, a lot of people would need like, you know, freedom. You need like a semester of freedom to overcome the offense. And there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for freedom. I just need to take a break from the church. Get over that. Paul shook it off shook them off in their opinions and went right back to serving. In chapter 28, verses 11 through 16, Luke tells us that Paul and the others arrived safely in Rome. But but watch this. It wasn't just about Paul's final destination in Rome. God used Paul to do big things on a very small island. You know, sometimes we get so focused on where we're going that we lose sight of what's right in front of us. God was not done with Paul on the island called Malta. Check it out, Acts 28, 7 through 10. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his what? Hands on him. He 
And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had disease also came and were what? And were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. What an incredible picture for us. What an important lesson for all of us. This man that Paul healed initially was stricken with sickness. Right there on the island. Stricken. But Paul visited him and prayed for him and laid his hands on him and the man was healed. And not just this man, but we're told that the rest of the people on the island who also had diseases came and they were cured. Let me ask you a question today. Are you saved? You don't have to answer out loud. Let me ask you another question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If so, then your life's purpose is to glorify God by serving others. Using your gift or gifts, whatever they are, service of others. Not allowing the strike of the enemy or the self-centeredness of the sinful nature puts you on the sideline. But saying, Lord, you've given me gifts. You have put broken people in front of me on the little island of my life. And Lord, I'm not going to be so focused on my destination that I forget about the broken people that you've appointed me to minister to who are right in front of me. Did you know that you are called by your creator to be a mighty servant of God? Some of these young pastors make me nervous because they see Stephen Furtick or Michael Todd or whoever, whomever, preaching. I want to be that guy. I'm like, good, okay. Might tweak the message just a little bit. You want to be great? You're not getting a microphone. Set out some chairs. Work and serve in the church. It's easy, at least for me, to put words in order and to preach a sermon to you here. This is easy for me to do. I'll tell you what's not easy. is fighting the flesh at home sometimes and serving. Am I okay? How do I do, baby? Don't lie, you're in church. She's, she's praying for me. She can honestly say, that I don't mean this to be self-aggrandizing, that I serve her and I serve my kids and I hope you feel like I serve you. And the flesh does not want to, but I know if I'm a disciple of Jesus, my life's ambition should not be to make it big, but to make it to the end as a faithful servant. If we thought that way in business, in a st- being a stay-at-home mom, your life's purpose is wrapped up in serving others. You say, I want to be great. Jesus said that the greatest among you are those who serve. What a picture. What a great reminder. As I think about the attack in this passage. How the viper, 
struck Paul. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, some of you have heard this. Years ago, um, my oldest, Karsten, uh, he wanted a snake. And we resisted for a while. And we finally gave in. We got him a bald python. Now, let me stop for a second. How many of y'all know, let's be, let's, be, let's be honest, the best kind of snake is the dead kind of snake. Are y'all with me? Someone said, preach. Preach, pastor. The best kind of snake is the dead kind of snake. And if you're like me, you see a snake in the road, you run over it, my F-150, run over it, and what, do you want, what should you do? What's the godly thing to do? Reverse and run over it again. And then do what? One more time, forward. To, I mean, get that thing as flat as a belt in the street. Are y'all tracking? That's the godly thing to do. So I'm contradicting myself here because we bought him a snake. That was, that was stupid. We bought him a snake. And Hudson, our second born, only Hudson would do this. Hudson named that snake Satan. True story. And, and listen, one day, someone, I don't know who, someone left the top off the aquarium that the snake lived in. True story. The snake got out in our home and we couldn't find the snake until what, hours later? We found the snake under the dresser drawer, the dresser there that. You know, on top of that was the aquarium. We reached, we found the snake and put him back in the. Now, are y'all getting the picture of what's going on here? Satan was loose in our house. <laughs> Pastor Scott, what are you doing? Satan is loose in my house. I'm going to call you back. <laughs> you remember the whole thing? We got Satan and we put Satan, watch this, y'all, back in his aquarium and put that lid on and thank the Lord Satan died not too long later. (laughs) It's a true story. You can't make this up. Listen to me, y'all. Let me give you a biblical picture. Genesis 3 says that the serpent, Satan, entered the garden, tempted Eve. You know the rest of the story. Eve sinned. Adam sinned. And the serpent, Satan, has been wreaking havoc in God's good creation ever since. He has been striking people ever since. But if you go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 20, the Bible says that there's coming a day when Jesus, when God is going to take that ancient serpent called the devil and he's going to throw him into the lake of fire and burning sulfur, well, he will be tormented day and night forever. How many of y'all know Jesus disarmed him on the cross, but he's coming again to defeat him once and for all. He's going to cast him out where there will be no serpent, no sin, no sickness, no bites, no strikes. Jesus is coming again to stomp and to destroy that serpent who struck you all those times once and for all. Come on, y'all. We serve a mighty God who has total authority in the end over all of Satan's devices. Paul said that the God of peace will soon crush Satan 
under his feet. Come on, church. We have the authority in Jesus Christ to trample on serpents and scorpions. Though things may hurt us physically, we are protected by the blood of the lamb. We are protected by the word of our testimony. We are protected as we're on the way to Rome, as we're storm-tossed, shipwrecked, and snake-bitten. We are secure because of Jesus.